Finding a good friend or your soulmate is not an easy task. In many people's lives, the building and breaking of relationships is on the top of their list of their 99 problems. However, what many don't know is that the difficulties behind these relationships often stems from the consequences of trauma before and during the relationship. So there are many different kinds of trauma as we've discussed in past episodes. One type is the single incident trauma where the trauma happens as a result of one event or a given time period. The other type is complex trauma where multiple layers, so to speak, of trauma occur because the person experiencing the multiple issues like domestic violence, addiction, poverty are happening at the same time or within the same span of time. Both of these kinds of trauma can greatly impact our relationships with others as well as ourselves. But it's not just what kind of trauma. When the trauma happens is extremely important as well in how it affects us. You might have guessed that I'm going to talk about childhood trauma. This is when the trauma happens before the age of 18. Now, you might be wondering why do psychologists care so much about what happened to me as a kid? Well, it's because as children, we are just forming our ideas about the world around us. Often, we will look to parents to confirm that we can trust others and that the world is a safe place for us to be. Depending on our experiences as children, we form specific ideas about love and trust, which can be positive if we were raised in a safe, supportive environment, but it can also be negative if we were raised in a situation where we experienced neglect and abuse from our parental figures or just our environment. This association that we have with love and trust this understanding that we have is described as attachment style which is defined as how close we like to be to others in relationships so there are four main types of attachment styles the first one is the secure attachment so these people had very strong attachments to their supportive caregivers as a result they tend to be able to connect with others easily, ask for help, and generally be free from a strong fear of rejection or abandonment because of their strong trust in the world around them. Additionally, they have a stable sense of identity and confidence in their abilities to engage with the world, right? So this comes from having that positive experience in a supportive and uh, in a supportive environment with caregivers that allowed the child to thrive so those first thoughts about love and trust were fueled by positive experiences thus they grow up to have secure attachments now let's get to dismissive avoidant attachment the dismissive avoidant attachment is when a person experiences a parent that's neglectful this causes a person to grow up and avoid being close to others and relies on their own independence at a high level the next attachment style is a fearful avoidant attachment style this is when the parent they loved also causes them pain in some way, which confuses the child. As adults, those with this attachment style are caught in the middle, where they're afraid to be alone, but also uncomfortable with the deep level of intimacy needed to build good relationships. The last attachment style is the anxious, preoccupied attachment style. This one is similar to the fearful avoidant, but it is characterized by a constant change in caregivers from extreme love to extreme distance. In relationships, these adults deal with a lot of anxiety where they can be clingy or sen very sensitive to changes in their partner because of the sensitivity they had to develop as children to deal with their very on and off caregivers. 
one of the most imp- common things in all of the unhealthier attachment styles is the idea that people are not trustable. As a result, they're scared to get close to people and can become easily aggressive or defensive when they feel threatened, especially in times of conflict. A lot of the time, trauma can also instill low self-esteem because the person may feel that their trauma is their fault or feel shame, especially in the case of sexual abuse. As a result, they attract toxic people that take advantage of their issues with self-security to get what they want. So one way that we can see this is through this story, um, through this real life story from Tess. So my earliest memories are of being scared, she says. When people talk about being carefree in their childhoods, I cannot relate. The experience of growing up without fear is very foreign to me. Tess, now 31, experienced abuse at the hands of her father from young age. While her mother didn't participate directly in the abuse, she didn't intervene for the fear that her husband's anger would turn against her. Essentially, I was left to cope with these overwhelming experiences by myself. No one outside the family knew I was too frightened to tell anyone. Part of me assumed no one would care. While Tess was outwardly silent about her abuse, internally she clung to an escape narrative hinged on the freedom of adulthood. As she packed her bags for college, she knew she would never return to her parents' home. Walking out of that door was exhilarating, she tells us, but in many ways, I carried the abuse with me. It informed how I saw myself and how I interacted with other people. For many years, it stripped me of the ability to have healthy relationships, and it took a long time for me to truly become free. This shows us, right, the lasting effects of trauma. It's not just something that we can leave behind without properly dealing and processing through it. If we do that, we actually carry it with us like tested, and then it can affect our relationships, which I'm going to go in, into more detail about in this episode. So when we experience trauma or unresolved long-term stress that comes from anything from unemployment to life-threatening events, we get into the fight, flight, or freeze mode when an event occurs that is reminiscent or reminds us of the trauma or stressful situation we experienced in the past so just in other words basically when we experience something that gives us the same feelings as some sort of trauma or other situation did we get into that fight flight or freeze mode because the trauma that we experienced was never resolved and because humans are social creatures and our ancestors depended on their tribes for food and protections Our brain actually perceives relational conflicts or hints of rejection or abandonment from people around us as life-threatening. Because back in the day, if you were rejected from a tribe, it meant you had no resources and you died. However, in most cases, people have the ability to regulate this. In people where they have experienced other traumatic events, especially ones that deal with abandonment, this is a little different. Relational conflicts can trigger the fight, flight, or freeze mode because of that emotional memory that hasn't been properly dealt with. When this happens, people lose it and scream, uh, they say things they don't mean, etc. Even with simple conflicts, it seems to escalate into the biggest issue ever. When the majority of issues in any relationship are are handled in this way, it can cause the other person to walk on eggshells or... It can cause them to react with just as much intensity and anger. Either way, the relationship will eventually break down where both people are not happy because everyday conflicts are not being handled in a way that communicates love. Instead, they're handled in a way where it's as soon as you have a conflict with me, we're enemies. We're, we're having a war. 
were breaking each other down and hurting each other in any way possible and that becomes toxic and in the long term the relationship breaks apart so the amygdala is the part of the brain that generates this response in us where people see real real problems where people see relational problems as emergent situations because of past trauma if we dig into the fight flight or freeze idea when the person enters into the mode fighting means attacking the other person right blaming being controlling raging the flight can happen when the person withdraws to avoid dealing with the problems or acts impulsive the third thing that can happen is freezing where the person completely shuts down and stonewalls the partner so Basically, when people enter into that state where they're not really thinking about the other person and that their relationship is valuable to be careful with what they're saying in the conflict, they're so consumed with the triggering circumstances around them, they're back in their trauma. So they're dealing with it in these very unhealthy ways, which causes them to not be able to resolve conflicts in a way that honors the other person in a way that actually leads to a resolution that works for both people. Another way trauma can factor into relationships is through, is through shame. To elaborate on this, trauma is experienced in an interpersonal way, like for example sexual abuse and or bullying slash rejection of some sort, can lead to an overwhelming and constant feeling of shame. This causes a person to try their best to not expose any flaws, big or small they can have. In a relationship, this is a problem because the person will often put up a wall so they don't have to be vulnerable. Because that means they could possibly expose their flaws. They can also have issues with receiving criticism, often attacking the other person or overcompensating to deal with the perceived rejection. Shame can even get to the point where people self-medicate with alcohol, drugs, work, etc. Because they are tormented by always experiencing the pain. In general, the other person in the relationship feels distanced and a lack of connection as well as an inability to ask for their needs from their partner and risk of it coming off as an attack. In general, the other person in the relationship feels distanced and a lack of connection as well as an inability to ask for their needs, which all in all comes to a person that's dissatisfied and most likely to to leave the relationship or cheat. Then there's also other effects on the other person in the situation if they are not the person with the trauma, right? Uh, a lot of the times, the problems experienced by the people close to a trauma survivor mimic the trauma symptoms in the survivor, as studies show. This may result from an internalization process where family members or other close people to the trauma survivor identify so closely with the experiences of the victim that they begin to internalize the trauma symptoms of the victim and experience their own stress reactions. These effects are considered secondary because they occur in those who have not been directly traumatized by the event. Frequently, these effects may resemble PTSD symptoms. This is so important because this is how generational trauma occurs, where children see dysfunctional behaviors and relationships in their family and begin to emulate behaviors that the traumatized person is doing. Or if both of their parents are, you know, in in a traumatized state, that can also be the case. So as we discussed, trauma can cause people to not deal with conflict and negative emotions in a relationship uh, can happen. So that means the child is going to probably go on to repeat the same things and fail to maintain healthy relationships because of how what they saw growing up that is 
one of the reasons why divorce often spreads in the family, where multiple generations will have marriages that end in divorce because they are emulating behaviors that make it hard to overcome challenges of relationships. So the second trauma can affect children in this way. But if we think about it, right, a person that has been in a relationship with a trauma survivor victim, right, can adopt some of the behaviors from that relationship, the PTSD symptoms as studies show. And they can then go on to go in their other relationships and repeat the same thing. And even if their new partner is healthy, right, and has a secure attachment style, the relationship can still feel miserably because that person, again, has not dealt with the trauma they experienced being directly tied to a trauma survivor in that way and uh, not having healthy ways to cope with it. Now, to be clear, having a relationship with a trauma survivor doesn't mean that you'll get PTSD, right? It doesn't happen all the time. But studies show that in some cases, behaviors start to become emulated, right? And that's something that's called secondary trauma and it's a real thing but it's just good to be aware so that you know both people can get help both people can find ways to cope a healthy way there are also other aspects of generational trauma where where a neglectful upbringing can traumatize a person leading to low self-worth as well as a belief that they don't deserve love this is where you get a person that's extremely vulnerable to narcissistic partners that will manipulate and control because a person will be okay with not receiving the love they deserve because they never expected it in the first place they lack a strong sense of boundaries so they can be prone to stay in horribly abusive relationships this leads us into trauma bonding trauma bonding is loyalty to a person who is destructive and it occurs because cycles of abuse are followed by short periods of love or reward this treatment causes a powerful emotional bond that is extremely hard to break so people often don't realize they're in a trauma bond while others outside the relationship can clearly see that it's very destructive i know that i've seen my friends that are in relationships and i'm like what are you doing this is obviously so unhealthy but to them right after reading this i realized to them it's okay because they're looking for the times where it's really good Oftentimes, these people will say there's, you know, the highs are really high, the lows are really low. And I think it's because the lows are very low, but the highs seem high because they're in comparison to horrible circumstances. So it could just be them being a regular couple and that person will see it as a high because they lack it. So they are so desperate to have that. Um, And so they think it's actually more euphoric than it is. According to Dr. Patrick Carnes, these types of destructive attachments are known as betrayal bonds and can take place in any context where a relationship is formed. They can occur in romantic relationships, friendships, within family, and the workplace. And this occurs when both people in relationships have trauma histories that can greatly impact their ability to regulate emotions, to trust others, etc. So in this situation, the volatile behaviors of each person is triggering the other person into the fight, flight, or freeze modes. Because, again, it reminds them of their past traumas. Then they both react in ways that creates new trauma, right? Because they neither person can properly regulate conflict. And then they repeat the cycle of pain. This is extremely difficult to break apart because the relationship isn't always chaotic, as I said. And because both people are volatile, when they both cycle into a good place in the relationship, it can seem to them to be very perfect. So it's hard to leave all the good behind, especially when both people have in some way become numb to being traumatized. So they can live with a lot of pain 
for a long time. So trauma can lead to behaviors like gaslighting where someone changes a story to take the blame of themselves away and causes the victim to question the reality. This is something that could happen in a relationship when both people don't know how to handle conflict or kind of any any hint of rejection triggers them. And so then it quite it causes conflicts to not be dealt with because the both people cannot even agree on the reality that happened. This is bad because every time there's a conflict, no one apologizes, no one stands firm. It's just a cycle of blaming and questioning reality. They can threaten to self-harm or harm family if the other decides to leave, again, causing another cycle of pain, another cycle of trauma. And so this makes sense. Like, this is not out of a kind of evil that these people are doing. And as I said, we have to go back to the understanding that when you are traumatized and have not dealt with it, what can happen is you go into that fight, flight, or freeze mode. And these people are in a sense of surviving, right? Because as I said, our brain perceives these conflicts, especially if they're very heightened, as life-threatening. So if you don't have those regulating mechanisms because your brain is literally wired differently because of the trauma you experienced, right? You're more sensitive to changes in trust and things like that. It's going to, it makes sense that you go to these extreme lengths to prevent abandonment, even if it means self-harm, even if it means harming other people. So when we look at it from that, it can be extremely frightening, but it can also be extremely enlightening because that means that there's a way to fix it, right? There's a way to therapy, there's a way of therapy and coping that can help these people move into a healthier place. So a woman that I found uh, wrote an article and uh, she actually talks about her abusive ex-boyfriend and she writes, um, he was my abusive ex-boyfriend who manipulated me into letting him use my body until he found someone new. And this name, this guy's name, she says is T because she doesn't want to expose his identity. But he said that before he did all of that, he endured pretty traumatic relationship, right? So this guy is coming into the relationship with trauma. So that can give us a really good context into why he's bringing kind of negative, toxic patterns, right? As we discussed, there's a secondary trauma uh, where it can affect the, a person that's with a trauma survivor and then lead them to kind of have those PTSD symptoms. So he's, she says, during our short relationship, he abused me and assaulted me. And even after all this stuff happened and we broke up, I stuck around because I was so in love with him. Looking back, though, I know it wasn't love. No matter what happened, like him hitting me or verbally abusing me, I had to stay with him and beg him to be with me again. After he got with his new girlfriend, he started saying, I'm going to leave her for you and made fake promises to me and ended up with me being disappointed and depressed. So this is a person that's come, come out of a trauma bond and looking back sees how crazy it is, right? But still shows us but that the effects of trauma bonding are really strong. Even with abuse, even with anything that can happen, people stick around and they experience even more trauma, worsening the issue. So she says that I felt like I was unable to leave him, even though he chose to be so with someone else. What kept me from moving on and letting the trauma win was dwelling on the past abusive situations and only focusing on the good. So she 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 coped with this relationship by only focusing on the good which is what happens, right? I didn't know how much about what a trauma bond really was until I was doing research on an abusive relationship. I had been trying to understand why it took so long for me to leave him and move forward. But after doing research, reading up on trauma bonds, I figured out that T and I were attached because of the trauma we endured together. 
So in this case, T, as she goes on to elaborate, is actually a narcissist. So we know that he has the trauma history. And if not, that the condition is enough to establish behaviors that are not conducive to a good relationship. She's not a narcissist, but she also has experienced abuse before. So it tells us that both people have very intense trauma histories coming into the relationship so there's that and then they come into the relationship and they're not able to deal with conflict because as i said every time there's a risk of abandonment rejection then it turns into oh this is a life-threatening situation i need to fight flight or freeze and and it's extreme reactions that don't lead to conflict resolution so here we can understand why so many people stay in relationships that seem like hell to the rest of the world but what we don't see is this fascinating bond that exists because of the trauma in the past, as well as, interestingly, the trauma they experience together, where they're addicted to the extreme lows that, that are filled with abuse and pain and chaos, which they in a way crave because that's what they're used to, right? A lot of the times people with trauma histories are used to chaos, they're used to pain, and it, it can seem normal, right? And they don't even feel like they deserve love a lot of the times, low self-esteem. So it all plays into the way that they're tolerant about extreme lows and it can cause these relationships to end up these ways and then they're also addicted to the highs which are really them acting like a normal couple right and so it can be hard to let go of this bond when when it feels like oh i'm losing something good i'm losing all the good but again as i said it's only in contrast to these extreme lows that it's really that good i feel like most of the time but even if it is the best even if the person is the love of your life in some aspects, right? Everyone deserves a love where they're not constantly abused. So either way, these kinds of bonds are something that should be addressed. And to anybody out there that may be struggling in, in a relationship like this, I really advise you to read up on it, right? When you research on your own, you kind of can connect the dots and see if it applies to you. And if you feel like it does, there's many centers you can call it. You could go to therapy. You could go to uh, other centers of discussion right with your doctor anything like that so if you cannot access a therapist that can help you with this another thing that you can do especially if you're in a very dire situation is call the domestic violence hotline which is 1-800-799-SAFE which means 7233 but it's 1-800-799-SAFE or you or 1-800-799-7233 so by calling this, you can get some insight into your situation, find help, find a shelter, and hopefully move out of that situation and make sure that you keep yourself safe. My ending message for this episode is for people to understand uh, that other people are dealing with a complex level of trauma often in their lives, right? When we, when we look at the relationships and we see that they're falling apart, instead of being quick to judge let's look at it from the lens of maybe this person is struggling because of this kind of trauma bond because of the bad relationships they've seen in the past because of their dysfunctional attachment styles and in that empathy we can then go ahead to talk to people that are close to us to make sure they're okay to make sure that they to make sure they they know they have someone to call on to if things get really really bad because all around us people exist that seem fine but really their life is a nightmare. And as people, when we see these relationships that seem dysfunctional, let's not stay quiet. Let's talk to our friends with, with kindness, not with a 
tone of, oh, I know what's better for you, but just from a tone of like, how are you doing? You know, it can be this, you know, bringing up these ideas, planting these seeds in the people because they're in such a state where they are not going to see what you're telling them, right? But at least you can go ahead and try to maybe have them listen to this episode, listen to other things like that, give them articles, right? Give them these resources that can help lead them to the truth. And so in that way, we can help the many people that are struggling in bad relationships. But even if it's not that traumatic, we have to look in our, but even if it's not that serious, right? We have a responsibility to look within ourselves. What do our family histories look like? Did we see good relationships growing up? What are our behaviors like towards our family, towards our friends? How do we deal with conflicts usually? What are our patterns? We could reflect on these questions and ultimately if we see that there's a problem within ourselves, we should go seek help because the success of our lives, right? The impact we can leave on the people that we will meet, our ability to even find love, to to start families, to live a life that's fulfilling is dependent on whether or not we're able to handle and receive care from other people, whether we're able to relate to other people in a healthy way. And so by reflecting, by looking outwardly from ourselves and seeing if others need help with this new information in mind, I believe we can make the world a better place. As always, thank you for watching, and we'll see you next time. As always, thank you for listening to Trauma Runs World, and we'll see you next time.